Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hey, it's Anna David. You are listening to my podcast, Recover Girl. Thank you for listening. I know there are millions or at least hundreds of thousands of options out there for what you could be listening to. So the fact that I am here in your earbuds or in your car or with you at all means so much to me. So thank you. Thank you for that. If you like this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would go and subscribe and just throw a quick rating up there. You don't have to write a damn thing, just a quick rating. It would help other people find this podcast and it would help me a lot. So my guest today is the one and only Greg Williams, you guys. Greg is the filmmaker who created The Anonymous People, the, the documentary that started the movement. He's also the co-founder of Facing Addiction, a nonprofit that um, is involved with legislation around um, re- recovery and addiction laws. He is responsible for that march that took place um, in Washington, D.C. I was there. They got Steven Tyler, Sheryl Crow, all of these people to play. This man is a force of nature and he's the most modest dude you're ever going to meet. Um, he also has another movie out called Generation Found. He talks in this episode about how he went from guy just sort of doing a sober job to the guy behind this movement. How much of a loan he had to take out in order to make the anonymous people. How he had the faith that this would pay off. And who it was that got him access to all of the people that made this movie the phenomenon that it was. So that's it. Thank you for listening. This is Greg Williams. What is up, you guys? Welcome to my special Facebook Live episode with the one and only Greg Williams. What's up? How are you, Anna? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so honored slash a little bit nervous to be interviewing you. Um, (laughs) mutual. What's that? The feeling's mutual. Stop it. I've been a longtime fan. Now, okay, so if you have never seen me do this before. I'm Anna David. I'm a New York Times bestselling author in long-term recovery. And I write a lot about addiction. I talk a lot about addiction. And I do these Facebook Live interviews regularly. I have been doing them at four o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Tuesdays, just because I randomly decided to do that. I'm thinking of switching it up. Who knows? If anybody's got an opinion about that, I, I welcome them. But I did this one at a special time because, come on, you guys, it's Greg Williams. If for some reason you do not know what that means, what that means is that Greg uh, created, directed, um, 
The Anonymous People, which is the seminal movie about coming out about your recovery. He also directed Generation Found, and he also co-founded Facing Addiction. So we have tons to get into. We're already being wished happy Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. thank, thank you, Jordan. Yes. Um, and, and I'm gonna go back and put uh, Facing Addiction back on the screen. If you guys have any comments, questions, uh, things you, you wanna say to Greg, ask him. Now is your opportunity. So, Greg, let's get into it. You and I first emailed back when you were making The Anonymous People. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, 2011, 2012, probably. So crazy. And um, how do I say this without sounding like a complete whatever? I, I, I sort of feel like I was in a stage where I was being emailed by sort of a lot of people about different projects around addiction. I had absolutely no idea the sensation that you were going to cause with that. And um, so I want to talk about it. I want to talk about how you came up with the idea, how long you were sober, and how the hell you raised the money to do that. Well, you know, the only reason you are not in it is because my mom's Honda Pilot, we would have had to drive across uh, the country to LA. Um, but you, you know, you're you were tell out there telling your story long before many people were. And so you are part of this revolution of, of recovering out loud, if you will. Um, I was, you know, when I started that project, I was about 12 years sober. You and I both got sober in our teens. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, young-ish. Did you really get sober in your teens? I got sober at 17. Weren't you like 16, 19 something, I remember? Um, no, I got sober at 30, but God bless you. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I I'm a, you got, yeah. Oh, okay. I love you even more than I did. I'm a thousand years old because I've been sober over 17 years, but, um, but no, I kind of came late. I think 30 is a good age, a solid age, but I'm always <laughs> incredibly impressed with people who did it as a teenager and remain sober. Okay. So you've been sober 12 years. Uh, so are you around 17 too? We have around the same amount of time. Yeah. 2001. Nice class of 2000. So, so you are about 12 years sober and you say, I'm a filmmaker. I'm going to make a film about the most important thing in my life. Is that what happened? I, to some degree, I, I, um, I got, I didn't tell anybody about my recovery for the first four or five years of my recovery. And what happened to me, I graduated college in four years. Cause if you're sober and you go to college and you show up, they let you graduate. And so I um, got into media production and storytelling. And then um, during that process, I made a documentary, a short form documentary about some young people in recovery and it did very well. And so I um, ended up uh, wanting to tell more stories about people in recovery. And lo long story short, I got invited to testify at the state house and then somebody invited me to uh, a training in Washington about how to tell your stories. And it was there I met a guy named Tom Coderre and Pat Taylor of Faces and Voices of Recovery at the time, who, I, you know, I'm sitting in this training and Tom Hill and, and all these amazing leaders. And I was like, these people need a movie made about them. I mean, they're, they're on the you know, verge of the next social justice movement in this country. And, and so I just, I felt really compelled and it, it was really purpose driven in terms of, it wasn't about my story. It was about like, these people were doing incredible things. They weren't just telling their story for, um, y you know, to be famous or, or anything. They were telling a story to change laws and go to DC and go to the Hill and do those things. And so I really, um, 
felt compelled to 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 want to tell their story and that's how I kind of jumped into it. Okay, but hold on a second. How did you get invited? Because people saw this uh, short form documentary you made. How does that happen that you got invited into that situation? <laughs> well, it, it was, you know, I had made a couple and there was a good good relationship. I mean, the recovery movement's still pretty, pretty, uh, even today. We'll take, you know, come on board. Like we, we want everybody and anybody. So it's, uh, there's not huge barriers to entry to, to raising your hand and saying, I want to be a recovery advocate. We need a lot more out there. So at that time in 20, uh, 2006, we, they let out all comers. So they let me in and, and what is this young kid going to teach us? And, and now, you know, they taught me a lot and, and I listened hard and, and I, you know, and I had some filmmaking skills and ultimately what happened is I, I decided that, you know, I wanted to take a risk in my life. And I was, you know, dubbing tapes in a tape dub room on the third shift, working for a post-production house. And, and my career was going nowhere fast. And, and so I said, well, you know, I'm just going to take a shot. And, and I went on, you know, off the deep end, I took out a loan. I went to shoot some uh, interviews of these folks. And then when I started shooting these interviews, I was like, I'm on to something here. Because when you're sitting in the interview and you're, you're listening to Bill White and Tom Hill and, 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 and these other individuals who've been around this movement for 25 years, and when you hear them talk about what 20 years or 30 or 40 years of recovery looks like, it's way different than a lot of the stories that are out there in the media about people newer in recovery. And, um, and so then it just kept going and, and getting bigger and bigger. And I went on Kickstarter and that's when it really kind of blossomed. And I, I raised the money on Kickstarter for most of the film. So I w- let's just be tacky and talk numbers. How much was your loan for? And then how much did you raise on Kickstarter? <laughs> Um, well, initially it was about a $75,000, you know, personal business loan to go out and shoot for a month. And then, um, on Kickstarter, I went for 45,000 and and raised, um, uh, 85,000, uh, through the recovery community, the recovery community across the country really, uh, uh, you know, came together and, and, and funded the project. There's Tim Sullivan, the, he was in the movie, but but didn't want to sign the release form at the time. That's a that's a story for for another day. But um, he's a big fan of Tim. And um, by the way, sorry to interrupt you. Are comments showing up on your screen? Are you seeing that on the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. not yeah. showing up on mine. Um, so thank good good to know. Hey Tim and Garrett. Hey, this year. So keep going. Um, and so, you- so yeah, and and then I met some philanthropists, and I mean the film became you know. Uh, all like funded through philanthropy and giving like that. It became like a half a million dollar film by the end of it, trying to distribute it independently. But, um, but it was just taking that risk, jumping in and, and saying, I'm going to do this and and getting frustrated along the way of getting turned down by HBO and Showtime and, and, and Netflix. I mean, it was, you know, Netflix wasn't that big at the time, but like it nobody wanted a movie about recovery. They, you know, they were like, where are the needles? Where are the, you know, where's the drama where, you know, I'm like, this is pretty dramatic. Somebody telling their recovery story uh, in a public forum without blacking out their face and changing their voice. Like, this is pretty, you know, different than what's out there. And, and there's an audience for it. And in the media, you know, a lot of media folks, you know, I didn't have the right last name. And a lot of media folks didn't, didn't believe there was an audience for it. Well, and I remember that Paul McCulley, I can say he's, uh, he's is somebody who donated money to it. And he was the one who did an email introduction between us. Yes, yes. Our executive producer, the Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Paul McCulley and John Silverman, who uh, Paul uh, is also a, a big supporter of Facing Addiction. And, and John is our chairman of our board right now at Facing Addiction. So have kept it in the family since the film. 
say I didn't even know that. So, so when you took out this loan, how on earth did you think you were going to pay it back? You just had this blind faith because, you know, nobody has any idea a movie's going to make money and you had to pay it back. Yeah. You know, it, it's really hard because, you know, for somebody, I mean, I'm blessed, like, you know, in terms of, of, uh, coming from, um, where I came from and, you know, I, I don't have any qualms about, um, you know, born into to privilege in, in some ways. And so I, um, but there is, um, a, a calling where it was, it wasn't really, you know, feeling like I'd break even at the time I was getting my master's degree at the same time. So, so I was kind of hedging my bets. I was at NYU and I was, um, in the Gallatin school. So this was a master's thesis. It started as a master's thesis project. So it was kind of like, uh, I always wanted to make it a feature film, but I knew if, if it failed miserably and didn't go anywhere, at least I have a, had a master's degree and, and I could maybe, uh, uh, parlay that into into paying back the the funds. And your degree is in addiction policy, is that right? Yeah. So Gallatin lets you do a, a bunch of different things. Um, you get to pick your curriculum. So it's health finance and public policy, documentary film, and new media. So I was able to take classes across uh, different disciplines. And 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 then what does that degree like do for you? Or is it was it just simply the education? Um. What, ha what happened is I started meeting these folks. Uh, my mentor was a woman named Donna Alagata, and uh, I was like 26 and I was sober like eight or nine years. And she um, she's like, you know, if you really want to like be credible in addiction policy and stuff, they were inviting me to these meetings in Washington and, you know, you need a master's degree. And, and I said, well, I don't want to go back to school. And, and she was like, you know, and, and I was like working and, and so she she kind of helped guide me to find a program where it aligned with my passion, where it didn't really feel like school, but I could, you know, study what I was interested in. Because I kind of had fallen at this point. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, it's not what I knew I wanted to do when I got sober. But but after five or six years, I realized, you know, I, storytelling in this space, there was a gaping hole, a, a big need. And I wanted to help tell stories to, to, to change um, change how we deal with addiction in America. And did you expect the tremendous response that the movie got? Absolutely. You know, in some ways, you know, my ego probably would have sat in that edit room and thought, well, this thing's going to be big. And, um, but what's, what's fascinating is it, it wasn't right. Like it came out and like, we went around the country and, and, and just like, you know, 300 people, one community at a time and in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And then, in Denver, Colorado, and we would go and, and, and show the film and people were like moved by it. And we're like, this is like, you know, really, really cool. But it, it I mean, it, it didn't really go anywhere for quite a while. Um, we got a distributor came in four months later and then, um, but still no media companies picked it up. It was never picked up by mainstream media. And, uh, you know, four months later, a distributor picked it up and they were going to release it theatrically. And then they didn't and they, they screwed around with it, but it, you know, it started to grow. So it took like nine to months to a year to grow a little bit bigger where we started having hundreds of screenings around the country. And I guess the most shocking thing for me sitting in, in 2017 is, is, you know, on a daily basis, people are like, you know, I saw that movie in, in treatment or I saw that movie over here and, and how institutionalized the film has become. I never 
for the life of me, I thought I was making a current events film that was like had relevance between 2012 and 2014, maybe. Um, I had no idea that the film culturally would hit a chord that that uh, would keep it, you know, relevant and, and engaged in people's life um, years later. But it, it's been it was a slow growth. It was not like a you know. Uh, people look at the film now and it's a lot of people have seen it, but, but it wasn't, it was, it was a bumpy trajectory. Fascinating. Cause that was not my perception at all, but it's dare I call it a cult classic. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yes, it's, it's, it's thrilling to have been a part of it. And, and I will say that, um, you know, that film has a lot more to do with the people in it than myself. I just was the guy who got to stitch it together and, reluctantly narrated it but um but it has a lot more to do with with these individuals in this movement who who were articulating this idea long before greg williams even got sober so right and how were you able to get access to them i mean you already had all the political contacts but you got a, i mean a ton of people i know in terms of kristen johnston uh, Lori do was it was did joe shrank help a lot was he the connective tissue there it, you know, it, it was really um pat taylor uh, I have to say, Pat Taylor had one of the best Rolodexes. I mean, but she she linked me to uh, you know William Cope Moyers, who then you know linked me to to other folks. So so I got to give you know Pat Taylor a ton of credit. Uh, you know, in terms of of networking with folks, I had been in the in the network for a couple of years, so people you know knew me a little bit. But um, but yeah, it, you know, on on balance, Pat had had connected me with probably the the majority of people that I I was able to interview. And um, you know, in terms of the cultural impact, you know, just because I'm really good friends with Ryan Hampton and Garrett Hayde, who let's put his comment up on the screen, um, who basically saw that movie um, and decided that they had to stalk you until they were involved with working with you. I mean, the sort of impact it had, I think, is immeasurable in many ways. Do you hear from people like every day about it? Uh, well, I try to stay kind of... Uh private but yeah i mean i do hear from people um you know about it often and and people invite me to come speak places and things like that it's it's humbling i mean you know as a storyteller i mean you know initially what was i mean you somebody you guys should go read the new york times review of the film it got trashed right and and so it's like it's this real duality of like you know um your traditional validators really wanted nothing to do with the film but the the community that the film was really made for and and, and advocating for um, talk about it being life changing and so it's it's sort of a um, it's an interesting dynamic it's it's an interesting duality but um, it's humbling you know it's anytime somebody you know says your art impacted my life in some way shape or form um, you know it's why it's why we tell stories it's why you do what you do it's why I do what I do I mean. Um, you know, if you can reach somebody and, and impact their life in a positive way, it's, it's, it, it, you know, all the money, all the debt, all the, all the planes, all the sleepless nights, all the, you know, um, social sacrifices that you make to, to, uh, you know, get, put a, put something out there. I mean, writing a book is the same thing. It, you know, it's, uh, it takes so much work and, and to, you know, you got to make a lot of sacrifices, but it makes it all worth it. Well, it's interesting because when you were talking about you sort of being, in, I think, in the editing bay, it reminded me of anybody who writes a book, I think, vacillates between this is the most genius thing the world is ever going to see and, oh, my God, this is a piece of shit. I can't believe people are ever going to – maybe it's alcoholism, but I know – 
how could you possibly undertake something that that with that little you know knowledge about how it's going to turn out unless you kind of at least sometimes thought it would be a sensation do you know what i mean absolutely i mean it, you know everybody's got you know a big idea for why they take on an art project um you know or a social advocacy project and and you hope that it, it can reach the, the hardest i mean the hardest part of all of this for any artist out there you know is the distribution i mean it, it is it is a brutal world it's it's a, it's an amazing world for independent artists these days whether you're an author a poet uh you know a, a filmmaker it's an amazing world because the barrier to entry and the cost is so low um but it takes hustling uh, and and a lot of hustling in order to get anybody to to see it or or to get it out there um and 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 then there's this part about you know is is there really any mainstream kind of um you know distribution channels these more anymore but um you know so so in some ways it's amazing for independent pe folks in in other ways you know it feels it feels really impossible to to break out I mean, so speaking my language, it is why I'm going to put the URL up there. My company is called Light Hustler because I think people do not understand that, in my opinion, the creative work is the is the easier part. And it is the, you know, but the way I look at it now is like we are all our own publishing houses, our own production companies, our own schools, our own whatever we want to be. And that is thrilling, but it requires just as much, in my opinion, creativity and certainly as much work to, you know, the audience doesn't find you, you find your audience. And and I don't see any other way around that right now. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And knowing your audience. I mean, I think that's the first question I get, you know, uh, from from media executives today who, who I'm privileged to interact with some every now and then is, is, you know, you present them a film project or present them an idea and they say, do you know your audience? And and I think that's, you know, the, the challenge for every artist is like, well, I'm making something that's good for everybody. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just not how uh, the business of, of distribution works. And what's what's fascinating for for recovery uh, folks putting out um, um, stuff is there's such a need. I mean, there's 23 million Americans in recovery. And I talk about this all the time. The only thing I'm ever marketed to uh, is, is detox and treatment and sober living, right? Like, and heavily marketed to that. I haven't consumed that stuff in 17 years. And so, so, but I, you know, I, I buy books, I travel, I buy cars. How, you know, so, so in terms of art and creative art, there's such a need and such a gap for, for media that reaches this, uh, community and, and 10% of the population is, is a big group of people. I mean, I'd say this all the time. We're the same size as, as the LGBT population. Um, and there's like a hundred gay film festivals every year, like a hundred. I mean, and, and so you're talking like that there's 50 to a hundred, you know, gay films made every year. I mean, we don't, maybe there's three or four recovery focused films every, you know, so, so there's a, the scales need to tip in that, in that, uh, equation in order to get more media out there for folks. But wouldn't you say it's tipping every day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, that it's been thrilling, you know. Um, obviously the work you've done, the work that, that other folks are doing, um, so many young people are writing, you know, books and, and, and films and short form stuff. So I'll, it, it's, it's really exciting. I mean, the, the CBS show mom that, that Gemma Baker and Chuck Lorre have been doing on network television has been amazing. Netflix and, and flaked and, you know, like we're starting to see this real revolution where, um, 
recovery is, is, is starting to find its way into uh, mainstream, you know, media channels. And, and thank God, because, because, you know, addiction has been there forever and, and uh, more people are dying than ever. And we need people to find a way out and people need to understand there's there's ways out. It's interesting, too, because when when I started doing this, you know, which I guess was with my first book, I didn't think I was brave. I got sober in L.A. where you're just like everyone's talking about it all the time. Like I was lucky enough to also be in a career where nobody was going to discriminate against me for being an addict. They would expect me to be an addict. And so and so I I, I didn't realize it was shocking until I was dealing with the sort of repercussions of that. And then in the last 10 years, I know probably of about 150 sober blogs. There wasn't a single sober blog back then. Yeah. And all these all these people, you know, Laura Silverman and Carly Benson and Kelly Fitzgerald and all these amazing people that are out there sort of telling their stories proudly. It's been an insane and amazing thing to watch in the last 10 years. Well, and, and help instigate. I mean, you're a fire starter in that regard. I um, think that... Um, the you know giving people permission to to tell their stories and 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 do that is just you know it's so needed and um yeah we, we need you know what you did you might have not felt like um was transformative because it was LA and and I think coming from the east coast I grew up in the east coast and you know a lot of I mean it's you know on wall street and in other places like in new york like people don't talk about this, um, you know, the way that LA is. LA has its own little bubble around recovery. Um, and if we could all get a little closer to LA in some ways, um, you know, in terms of the culture of openness around recovery, I think we'd, we'd be better off as a community. But, but you know, in, in the Bible Belt, in the Midwest, like it is, it is just not, um, I mean, I, I'll tell you one showing, we were in um, Athens, Georgia, and uh, Bill White comes on in the middle of 400 people stuffed in a beautiful auditorium in, in Athens, Georgia. And I'll never forget this moment. Bill White comes on uh, and says, you know, some people uh, stay quiet about anonymity, um, you know, and their recovery status because it's about shame and it's not about the traditions. And, and he has this line in the film and it's a really provocative line. This guy in the auditorium yells out bullshit in the middle of the movie. It's silent and every, you know. And it was, you know, it is just, and there was a big debate and he quieted down and then he stayed till the end. And then during the Q and A, he's like, I kind of understand. And, um, but you know, how can you have a conversation about telling your recovery stories without talking about shame? And I think that's, you know, a lot of people want to debate anonymity, but, but the real core issue is, is when you start to understand the black and white of some of these traditions and, and what they mean and what they don't mean, it, the reason people stay quiet is wrapped up in shame and it's not wrapped up in, in some kind of rules or regulations anywhere. Yes. And I think also um, pe there are people who are, live in places and work in uh, or organizations where they would be discriminated against because of the sort of ignorance around it. Um, you know, my experience when I was running um, a website, I only hired sober addicts, not even because I cared about that, but because they were the best workers I've ever met. It might come from a place of, oh my God, I have to be perfect or I'm not worthy, but my God, are we good workers? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But but now, now one thing I wanted to ask, if people who have, have not seen the movie, is it is it on, can you get it on streaming on iTunes? Where do you get it? Yeah, you can just Google uh, the anonymous people or go to manyfacesonevoice.org. Um, yeah, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, 
um, DVD, you know, great stocking stuffer. Um, it's uh, so it is available, and there's some bonus features on the DVD if you still have one of those things. Uh, but um, yeah, it's pretty accessible now. Probably BitTorrents if you want. Now, um, go get that for your Christmas gifts slash Hanukkah gifts. Right now, you could get it today. Ryan is claiming that I'm ignoring him. and I would never ignore Ryan. Um, we, by the way, are so happy all of you are chiming in. Um, Rinda, Rinda, Carrie Bates, Adrian, Tim, of course, Kimber. It's This makes it so much more fun. I feel I have completely neglected to ask you about facing addiction. So, cause I just got so fired up about the anonymous people, but let's briefly go into that. So the anonymous people comes out, you've got all these political connections, you've got your degree. And so you say, well, I'm going to co-found facing addiction. Like how did that happen? Well, just like everything in my journey, just by accident and following my heart and, and passion, it, you know, after the film came out, like we had all these folks fired up and I went around the country and, and, you know, at the end of the, movie people you know after they were done debating anonymity with with me on stage they would say well what do you want me to do and i would say well you could start a recovery house or a community center or a school and you know support your recovery in your community and and they just looked at the hiv movement and breast cancer movement and christian johnson saying silence equals death it, it wasn't big enough for them like you know opening a recovery house in their community wasn't big enough for them they were looking for the pink ribbon they were looking for the aids quilt they were looking for something much larger than that. And, and so, um, we, uh, uh, Pat and, and a couple others started talking about, you know, is 2015 wasn't an election year. Like, could we, could we rally on the mall? I asked all these people at the end of the film, like, what's your vision? And they said, you know, going to the national mall and doing what movements do, um, to, you know, about 80 out of the hundred people I interviewed said the same thing. And so it was their vision. It was, you know, it, 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 and, and so it just 2015 was the right year. I had met some folks who, who um, could open some doors to some celebrities. I, I had met some folks who could fundraise a little bit towards it. And, and we just started organizing towards uh, the rally in 2015. And, and I met a guy uh, named Jim Hood, who really was um, kind of the business mind behind building a sustainable strategy. So I was all about like, you know, um, organizing a rally and a big march and, and, and community organizing. And then, and then people started asking me like, what's next? What, 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 what's, what happens on October 5th? What, you know, and that's, and that's where facing addiction really through that course of the year, kind of bringing together all of these coalition members and, and all of these organizations into, uh, you know, one broad tent that could kind of speak with one voice. Um, and so, so that was the birth of facing addiction in terms of the, the movement that, that it's become. And, and, uh, you know, kind of encompassing prevention, treatment, recovery, advocacy, research, uh, harm reduction, all kind of together and trying to build a cohesive message uh, for leaders in Washington, but also at the state and local levels. And it was, let me just say, a really good time. I was, <laughs> um, and it was the first time I met you in person and you're so freaking humble. I was like that, I mean, it looks like Greg, but that that's Greg Williams. I just couldn't believe in, you know, calm, you know, in a storm and and all of those things. Um, I, oh, what's next? And then we got to get close to wrapping up. This has been so much fun. But tell me what's next for you. Yeah, well, I just released a, a film on young people in recovery uh, down in Houston called Generation Found. So if you liked anonymous people, this is a little bit different, but it's all about 
youth recovery high schools and and recovery colleges. It's it's remarkable what they're doing in 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 the Houston community, um, and I think you'll find it you know really fascinating. So so that's uh, you know coming out and in, in, on DVD and home video now. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, and for 2018, what's next is we, we want to train a thousand people. Facing Addiction wants to, to go out and organize and, and build community leaders. I mean, we started this project this year around pilot community projects where Michael King uh, on our team has gone into local communities and started to, to teach them about how to organize. And, and Aaron Kacharski helped build a curriculum of, of how do you do advocacy and message training. And so like when I got trained, it was about how to talk about my recovery in a way that the general public would understand. Now, fast forward, you know, eight years, and now it's people are telling their stories and, and the messaging has gotten pretty good. Um, but now it's like, yes, you can vote. Yes, you, you need to vote. Yes, you need to ask your policymakers how to do this. And, and yes, you need to organize your community because everyone's talking about this issue. But if we let the, the police officers and the, and the school superintendents and the mayors across this country, if we get them make the policies, we're going to be looking at the 1980s again, you know, amidst this crisis. And so it, it requires individuals who are affected and afflicted and who have a stake in the game to stand up and, and help shape the policies. Because we have this moment of opportunity right now, uh, given the gravity of, of, of the crisis and, and uh, to really shape a whole different generation and a whole different uh, approach to addiction. And Alicia just chimed in. Um, I want to be a part of this. Please post links. Um, is that something? What I can do is post the links when I share this video. And mm -hmm. I can also, what this is, this episode on Tuesday will be released as a podcast episode. I have a podcast called Recover Girl. So um, check out that. I will put it in the, in the show notes, um, at all the information about how you can get involved in all of this. And by the way, if you are motivated by this to tell your own story, you want to know, are you ready for that? I actually have a quiz. Go to my website, lighthustler.com. Take my quiz. It's pretty cool. I just sort of put it up this week. So wow. I would love to take that, uh, find out if you should be telling your story, and then go out there and freaking tell it. Greg is a testament to the, the lives we can save as a result of that. Um, I'm going to go take the quiz now. Let's see if I'm still ready. You know what, Greg? You may not be ready. Take it. But um, the rest of you definitely take it. Um, Greg, thank you so, so, so much. Everybody, thank you for chiming in. Um, this would just be a, a silly conversation on video if you guys weren't here. It wouldn't be silly because it's with Greg. But still, we'd feel dumb just sitting here talking to ourselves. So thank you so much. And um, I will see you all soon, Greg. Right. Take care. Thank you. Bye.